Welcome to the first installment, season one, episode one of the Gator Brief. The Gator Brief is the official student life podcast of the University of Florida Levin College of Law, where we talk about life at Levin, legal education, and the reasonable doubts that many law students and young lawyers face. I am your host, Andy Garcia. I am a 2L at UF Law from Miami, Florida, and serve as president of UF Law Student Bar Association. And I am joined by my amazing colleague, dear friend and co-host, Janelle Roll. Yes, thank you, Andy. My name is Janelle Roll, and I'm a 2L from Gainesville, Florida. The Gator Brief is sponsored by UF Law and managed by UF Law Student Bar Association. Our goal is to serve as a trusted resource to UF Law students to enhance the student life experience by featuring insightful conversations with members of the UF Law community, professors, administrators, and alumni. We want to help students answer difficult questions and confront the challenging obstacles that they may face while in law school and in practice. On the docket for today are Dean Amy Stein and Dean Laura Rosenberry, two high-energy, enthusiastic, passionate, inspiring leaders and educators at UF Law. Dean Stein is the Associate Dean for Curriculum and a professor at UF Law. She is nationally recognized for her research on energy policy, particularly with respect to federalism, the regulatory process, and administrative law, and also explores implications of legal doctrines as applied to artificial intelligence. Dean Stein has presented her energy work across the country and internationally in both academic and policy forums. I am a biased, huge fan of Dean Stein, who is teaching an environmental capstone colloquium this year that I'm very glad that I signed up for. Welcome, Dean Stein. Thank you so much, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And of course, we have Dean Rosenberry, the Dean and Levin maybe, and Levin Professor of Law. Dean Rosenberry joined UF Law in 2015, and under her leadership, UF Law has seen a 200% increase in applications. Nearly 40 new faculty members fundraising in excess of $100 million in private funds and six of the most accomplished and diverse classes of UF Law's 113-year history. All of these successes within the past seven years have led to a 27-spot jump in the U.S. news rankings, placing UF Law among the top 25 law schools in the country. It's so wonderful to be here, and thank you for your leadership in starting this podcast. Thank you so much, Dean Rosenberry. Thank you both for being here as we launch the Gator Brief. Yes, so let's kick it off. Let's hear from you both. Um, what do you want our audience to know about you? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, putting you on the spot right from the beginning. <laughs> well, you know, I came to UF Law in 2015 as a complete outsider. I had no ties to Florida. I had never been to Gainesville until I came to do my interview, and it's been just a wonderful journey to get to know not just the students here at UF Law, but also the larger Gator Nation and the entire university. When I was hired, President Fox says, a great university needs a truly amazing law school, so we're trying to be that law school for UF as a whole. Great. Well, and I'm a Chicago girl. So like Dean Rosenberry, um, I'm an outsider to Florida, born and raised in Chicago. I was in private practice for a number of years before I decided to join academia. And I have never looked back. Every day that I get to work with these amazing students here at UF, I am just, it reconfirms my choice to make this move. I have two adorable furry friends at home and two <laughs> adorable children at home. So maybe that's it. Yeah, two, two furry friends and two non-furry <laughs> friends. <laughs> we hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm curious to know, what were both of your initial interests during law school? 
I am one of those weirdos who actually knew <laughs> what I wanted to do going into law school. Okay. So I have had a long-standing passion for environmental issues. Mm-hmm. I was the, like the lone member of the environmental concerns organization in college. There were not many. I think there were five of us in the organization. Um, and then I thought that I was going to be saving the critters of the world until I took an environmental policy course in college. And I thought, environmental policy? What? This could be perfect. I talk way too much to be sitting on a boat doing data sampling for the rest of my life, (laughs) and this would be a way to make a difference, but actually use some of the skills that seem more natural to me. Um, But I was first generation. No one in my family had gone to school, so I didn't even really know that was a viable path until that class. Um, And that got me really interested in applying to law schools. And I came into law school. I only looked at law schools that had a strong environmental program. In the end, I got guidance that said, go to the best law school you can get in. And I went to a place that had one environmental law course. So for anyone who's worried that they don't get enough in the curriculum, you can still go on and do whatever you want, even if your course is not available. What about you, Dean Rosenberg? What were your initial interests during law school? Well... You know, similar to Dean Stein, I had no lawyers in my family, in part because I'm the first woman in my family to go to college. My dad was the first man in our family to go to college. And we all grew up in a religion that did not believe in resorting to the courts. Wow. So so I literally did not know any lawyers. <laughs> I graduated from college really not knowing any lawyers, and I was not planning to go to law school. But in the year two years between college and law school, I started working for some nonprofits and met some lawyers who were doing really fascinating things, not in the courtroom. Up up until that point, my only knowledge of lawyers was what I saw on TV, on Law & Order, which was interesting, but really not my cup of tea. And working... Um, between college and law school helped me understand that, you know, lawyers are problem solvers. Yeah. And there are lots of different ways to do that problem solving work. The courtroom is just one narrow portion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a little bit off script, but I think it's worth mentioning here. I think that the stat was um, nearly 50% of the incoming class either identifies as first generation, LGBTQ+, or a person of color. That is correct. So my question for you is two parts. What does that mean to you? And number two, tie that into the FGPS, the First Generation Professional Society that I know that you helped kickstart. I'm also first generation, so I I would love to hear about this. Well, and and Dean Stein is their faculty advisor. Okay. Oh, my gosh. That was it. We didn't even plan (laughs) that. that. We didn't even plan that. (laughs) But, um, you know, so first of all, with respect to the diversity of our entering class, we're just so excited that there's, you know, not one you know, default conception of who is a law student mm-hmm. or who can be a lawyer, but we have a very diverse community, people with very diverse experiences, um, and and I hope that contributes to the richness of discussions in the classroom, but also outside of the classroom in activities like this one and all the other student organizations. Um, you know, and also because we're a state law school, a flagship law school with incredibly low (laughs) tuition, I think, you know, we attract a lot of students who may not, you know, be able first to afford $60,000 a year to go to law school. And second, you know, don't have a lot of people in their families telling them to go to those schools. And so, you know, yes, about 20% of of our student body is first generation college. But 
70 to 75% is first-generation professional. We have a very different socioeconomic mix to our student body than and then most of the top law schools have and I think once again that adds to the richness of our community it also means our students are hungry to try new things to experiment but also really open to feedback from people who you know were first generation themselves and and I know that's why Dean Stein is so excited to be the faculty advisor for the group. I am. I am so honored that they asked me to advise because they're doing such wonderful, innovative new things that it's it sort of, it's it's a place and a community of folks that have been all around and now they have a, a source of, you know, support institutionally as well as within their colleagues to sort of move forward with initiatives. But I think I agree with everything Dean Rosenberry said, but I'll also say that for all the law school and Dean Rosenberry's amazing accomplishments that you started out with, I feel like we would really be lacking if we weren't also excelling on this metric. Like, it's Mm -hmm. so critical that... I wouldn't feel good about sending our students out into the world without making sure that they have been educated in a place with people with so many diverse backgrounds and educational experiences. I don't think they would be well equipped because that's not today's world. Um, And so I am just so appreciative that we are kind of always pushing the boundaries of where we need to be to make sure that we're there and providing that experience for you all. Yeah, Yeah. I I definitely agree with that. I think um, a lot of people forget that learning happens not only just in the textbooks and the things that we're reading, but from our classmates as well, you know. So to be able to pass that on to other individuals and have people in the law school who we can all learn from and we can grant our knowledge to, it's extremely exciting. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. I very selfishly want to say thank you because it makes me feel very proud to be, to be a part of this. Um, what challenges did you face as first-generation lawyers, as first-generation professionals? And what advice do you have to give to students who are looking to cultivate mentorships their first and second years? Um, Well, I'll just say that I couldn't have been more naive going into law school. So I really knew nothing. And even once I knew I was going to law school, it turns out I didn't take any of those steps you were supposed to take. (laughs) Like, I didn't know what a horn book was. I didn't realize you could do any additional research outside of your textbook. I thought the professor assigned this. I'm a very good, diligent student. I'm going to do the reading. I'm going to go to class. I'll be fine. Um, And I was very fortunate. Um, Section E, woo-hoo, right? Your sections continue to this day, my friends. It was my legal research and writing (laughs) section. Section E. Section E. And thank goodness that they were there for me because I was very rare. Most of my colleagues had spent time between college and law school, and I was one of the few who went straight through. And so uh, maybe even greener than the rest. And so they were really wonderful in being great colleagues to me and never looking down on me that I knew nothing about about what I was doing or having no lawyers. Many of them already knew exactly what they wanted to do and they had established mentors. They'd read all the textbooks and all the (laughs) additional books of our faculty. (laughs) And I would say, I've never heard of this person before. Um, And so I think that was a challenge and I was fortunate I had a really supportive class of colleagues. Um, And so I would say that I had the most wonderful professors, um, but I didn't develop very close relationships with them when I was in law school. Um, I felt like some that were like advisors or I was on a journal. And so you had some experience 
experiences, but it was different. Yeah. It was helpful, but I think that it's very easy for all students to feel so intimidated by it. Yeah. I think that was my mistake, that I did not reach out to as many professors as I probably should have. That's something that all students need to get over. You know, when you're one else, we see a lot of you in office hours, and that just tapers off. And now, when we have upper levels, we'll sit in our offices so lonely because you all don't always come and join us, yeah. and we're there for you. And I think that now, you know, sometimes it converts into job advice and the rest, but I will use this as a plug to encourage all upper levels to please seek out your professors during their <laughs> office hours. We are there, and we are, like, happy to get company. And, and we are happy to accept your plugs. And I think that that's an important one. Thank you so much. Well, and I agree with Dean Stein. Uh, for me, early on, my study group was my biggest source of support and mentorship. And, and you often think, well, can I be mentored by another student? Yes, because you are all coming in with different experiences. And I encourage all one else to start a study group early to keep it and then when you're a second and third year you can have a study group for a particular class particularly if it's if it's challenging you in some way or not, or just because you want to have that community and study yeah. together I was lucky in that my first semester Civ Pro class was what they called a small section. Mm -hmm. So I had only 40 people in that class. And my professor was Martha Minow, who now goes by the 4M, my mentor, Martha Minow. <laughs> <laughs> So, and, you know, and she ultimately became the dean of Harvard Law yeah. School. But when I was um, there, she was a professor, a wonderful professor. And, You're one else of pro professor. And yeah, randomly assigned to her. And I must say, I wasn't the best Civ Pro student. So please don't think you have to get an A in a class in order to develop a, a mentoring relationship with a professor. You know, I got... Um, to That's another very important plug. Oh yes, very important uh, plug absolutely. for our and, audience. You know, and and because I, you know, law school was such a foreign place for me, I almost left after my first year. But Whoa. but because I had Martha Minow in my small section, I went to her office hours, <laughs> even though I this was second semester, not first. So I didn't have her in class. But I said, you know, I'm thinking of leaving because I'm I'm. I, it's just really hard for me to relate to these core classes. And I said, and sadly, even Civ Pro, I, it's hard for me to relate. But she gave me some really wonderful advice about, you know, how the upper level years can, you can really create um, as your own. You, you get to choose the courses. She encouraged me to do the law review to get more writing experience and to engage more with scholarship. Um, and she encouraged me to think, you know, more robustly about my summer work and to, and to just explore multiple options. And so, you know, I thank her for <laughs> keeping me in law school. Yeah. It was clearly a good move. And, um, and then we stayed in touch and she was the one who, um, after I was practicing for a few years, encouraged me to um, go on the teaching market to yeah. become a professor. And then 
ultimately, once she was the dean of Harvard Law School, she's like, you should start thinking about becoming a dean of a law school. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like it's like Dean Rosenberry wrote the script because it's a perfect segue. I'm <laughs> yeah. Jan- Janelle, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you wanted to ask about the calling for higher education. Yeah. No, I definitely want to ask about the calling to higher education. But first, I just wanted to mention you saying that, you know, you contemplated leaving law school at some point in time. I think it's so easy to sit in our classrooms and to see people raising their hands frequently, to hear people getting cold called, and it seems like it's very easy. I think it's a really quick judgment to just get trapped in this idea that you're the only person in law school who is struggling or that you're the only person who has ever been to law school who is struggling. So I think that's a really good um, point for all of our listeners and viewers that, you know, sitting here before us, the dean of a top 25 law school is letting you know that she at one point in time contemplated leaving law school. I too have found myself in people's offices saying, I'm going to leave law school. So I think that that's a really sweet perspective because it's it's really easy to forget. And, and I'm so glad you stayed. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we all are. We all are. <laughs> yeah. And I would just add that that's another plug, perhaps, that yeah. when you do have that, if you have that feeling, please go talk to somebody before you make yes. any decisions. Because yes. I think amongst your own colleagues and amongst, you know, your professors, that's at least that's the kind of discussion that look I think you can often resolve in a positive. So yeah, about your careers in academia, how you got here, we heard that, you know, you're both first generation. You had these interests in, you know, undergrad and in your early legal times. How did you get here? Because <laughs> it seems like an unconventional route for most legal professionals. Well, you know, interestingly, we both started out at big law firms, mm-hmm. right? And and I think big law firms are a place um, for students who, you know, some people are like, I definitely want to be- work in big law. That's my career forever. Other people are not sure, but going to a big law firm will expose you to different types of cases, different types of law, and then you can decide if you want to stay or um, ultimately want to go in-house, want to go to a smaller mm-hmm. firm, want to go into academia or, or public interest. You know, Of course, some people know immediately that they want to start in public interest or the public defender's office or the state attorney's office. But because I was still trying to figure out what this law thing was, um, I ultimately decided that, you know, working for two judges and a big law firm would be the right way to get a better sense of the lay of the land. Yeah, and because I had such an environmental interest, I was convinced I would never work at a big law firm. So I was very worried I would be morally compromised. Mm -hmm. I had spent all my summers doing public interest government work and internships. I was at Department of Justice and the like. I had my path so clear. And then OCI hit. And everybody was talking about all these firms, and I just got swept up in the wave because, like Dean Rosenberry, I thought, it would probably be weird since I have no lawyers in my family, I know nothing about it, to go off and practice without ever even setting foot in a law firm. I yeah. should know what how that world. And once I started interviewing, I very quickly, I only interviewed with firms that had strong environmental departments. <laughs> um, and so that was a way to help me because to me they all seemed the same. It was yeah. so difficult um, to parse through them. But once I started interviewing, I very quickly started meeting lawyers who were practicing really interesting environmental cases. And I thought, 
wait a second, that doesn't sound like I could work on that case. That's not morally. You're like, oh, wow, it's possible. It's possible. It really. So one of the pieces of advice I always tell my students is you need to just open your arms to life and opportunities. You need to do everything you possibly can to situate yourself such that you can take advantage of what comes your way, because we all know it's a combination of your hard work, right, and opportunities in life. And that was one of those pathways where I could have gone down a different road and I was committed to only going to this law firm until I paid off my loans, and then I was going to go to government. Yeah, so I paid off my loans, and guess what? I stayed another six years. <laughs> so great. So you just never know. I would yeah. say the folks who are so sure of one thing, to try to have a little bit more of an open mind, and life sometimes throw you, throws you curves. Yeah, I think, I think that um, it, it, it reminds me of uh, Judge Edwin Scales visited us last year, and he said... Um, when law students make plans, the law laughs. And I think that the way that you just put it was a much more, much less cynical, much more uplifting way to put it, but it's wonderfully put by Judge Scales. And, um, and yeah, I, I think that that's great advice for our audience and for everybody in this room. Um, and thank you so much for, for sharing your stories and talking to us about how you got here. Well, and I'll just add one more piece that kind of gets to how did I get to academia, which I think you might find useful because it plays into what you're saying, yeah. Andy, which is that you might have another person in your life, that your life plans are dependent on somebody Very else true. and your partner. And so that is part of I ended up moving because of my partner. And so then I thought, oh, this is probably the time to be done with big law. I now had a baby, and this was probably the right time. I was pregnant with my second. I was very very active in work-life balance issues. And I thought, I think I'm, I'd never really had plans to be partner, and I wasn't willing to sacrifice that. I wanted to be there with my babies. Yeah. And then the firm was like, oh, but our, you're going to be moving to this place, and our office there is only eight minutes away, and you could commute while you were pregnant. And I was like... <laughs> Okay, maybe, but sort of like I'm just giving you that story such that I yeah. was pulled out of a place I was happy, and then I ended up being happy in the next place, but sometimes you're going to be forced to move around the country, and yeah. so it's nice to have options, and that was part of after we moved back, I was like, yeah. I'm not going to go back to the firm. Let me look at academia. We'd like to transition now to focusing on the University of Florida. Mm -hmm. um, the schools focus on tax, AI, healthcare law. What's the next big focus, right? We see Dean Stein on all the televisions on campus, and we read about artificial intelligence. And you know, I've heard about the um, the donations that particularly tailored for the healthcare law program, and how that's something that the schools really focused on. What's on the horizon for those focuses, and what what pushes are coming next in different areas? Well. Well, our goal is to, you know, equip our students to become complex problem solvers yeah. in whatever area of law they ultimately focus on. And for many of our students and recent graduates, they might think they want to do tax, and then three years later, they're doing M&A, then five years later, they're, they're doing real estate. So we try to make sure that we don't compartmentalize mm -hmm. our our curriculum that yes we have some traditional strengths but we want to be strong in in all areas of law that will be consequential to the future yeah. and obviously the future is rapidly changing yes. <laughs> with, with with technological innovation but also with some social disruption we have a different conception of the rule of law now than I think 
um, we did 20 years ago. What does that mean for the future of, of legal practice? Um, I think um, the line between lawyers and clients has become much more fluid in that um, lawyers now partner with their clients to solve problems as opposed to simply commenting on legal matters or you know, a regulation. And so we also try to make sure that we have interdisciplinary opportunities for our students. We're partnering more with the business school, with the engineering college, um, and our students can really delve into the specialization of their choice. Well, I completely <laughs> yeah. agree with all of that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I could say that any better. I mean, I would just say that, you know, I don't think any of us have a crystal ball. And I yeah. think what's more yeah. important is that we're nimble and that we yes. can kind of reimagine the scheduling every year. We think, well, we look to try to make sure we're providing everything Dean Rosenberry just articulated. And so if we see gaps, we work hard to try to fill those gaps. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it would be, this could be a really neat seminar. I mean, I'm sure you've seen, we try to really mix yeah. it up with our seminars and course offerings that hopefully you are not seeing the same things in the schedule every year. You're going to see some of those core which are important to you for your knowledge and foundations, but we want to make sure you have various opportunities each semester you're here. Including experiential opportunities. Yeah. You know, obviously our semester and practice program enables students to tailor their experience to their particular um, interest. And it can be anywhere in the country, any government agency, public interest organization, or in-house counsel's office. And so, you know, that's a way to have, to create your own capstone experience through that intensive externship uh, program. Uh, Dean Stein and I met earlier today to talk about an employment law skills course that we're going to start offering next year, as yeah. well as How another exciting. simulation course. And so, we, you know, so it's not just just about substantive law, but about the process of law, and and you know when for for people who don't know law, they think oh that means the courtroom, yeah. and and in fact you know you know very 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 few disputes are now ever settled in a courtroom. So thinking about other skills our students need to succeed in the future. Yeah. yeah. So. As you were saying about the curriculum changing and trying to incorporate courses that we haven't seen before or maybe we have seen before and students really gained a lot from it. So what are some of the factors that go into building out those curriculum? Is it, you know, do we have alumni who are willing to come back and teach in those areas? Is it do we have, you know, professors and faculty who are specialized in those areas? What are some of the thought process that go behind that? Well, Dean Stein spends a lot of her time on this puzzle, but of course, you know, it starts with the strengths of our faculty, and, and sometimes we ask faculty to branch out of their comfort zones and, and support them as they prepare a new class, but because we have a large faculty, we have many substantive strengths. We also um, do have some alums who come back, particularly for the compressed courses, and donate their time to you know, offer that one credit course that's on their area of expertise. So yes, I agree with everything there that Dean Rosenberry said. I think that what's particularly interesting, and I think you all see it, is that she started with our faculty and their scholarship and their research interests. And you probably see that when a scholar is teaching a course in their area of scholarly interest, mm -hmm. there are such natural synergies. Yes. So we really like that because that allows them to, right, you're having the latest and greatest in the 
people who are, you know, so on top of um, everything in that field. Um, but she's exactly right that then I often go to them and say, you've been teaching this for a, a number of years. Is there anything you wish you would love to kind of expand or an area of new research? And that often, our faculty are amazingly nimble. Mm -hmm. And so they are often interested in kind of diving into new areas. And it sounds like the administration has, there's a lot of collaboration with professors that are willing to be flexible and maybe dip their toes elsewhere and do something else or, you know, go back in time and do something that they haven't done in, in, in some years, which is incredible. And then we also try to build upon the university's strengths and their initiatives. So I will say, you know, the university launched a major AI initiative right before the pandemic and and they asked each college to designate a point person to help with that initiative. And luckily, Dean Stein had already, you know, a, a year before started writing on AI. I had my crystal ball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and as that initiative has developed, Dean Stein could could share her experiences teaching the AI survey course with others and help them develop more specialized AI classes. Yeah. And I don't think we would have done that but for the university's AI initiatives. And I'll just say that that is an underappreciated value <laughs> of all of our law students, that I think that I have so many students who come in and say, I don't even know the first thing about AI. I couldn't possibly do this. And I designed the course to be accessible to all because my goal is to make sure you are all AI conversant at the end. <laughs> you do not need to be an expert. You just need to not be afraid of new material because as we've just talked about, right, you're going to be confronting new material every day of your job, no matter what your expertise. And so it goes back to Dean Rosenberry's point about interdisciplinary work and you being able to function outside of a silo that exists in in the law school sometimes, right? I think we do a very good job of trying to make sure you understand you will be working with others. Right. And so knowing how to, you're going to serve this incredibly valuable purpose by serving as translator sometimes between the lay community and scientific community. And you need to be confident enough to be able to do that. So I see that as an important part of our training as well. It goes to Dean Rosenberry's soft skills. Yeah. Yes. Not, it's not just knowing how to present evidence in front of a judge. It's knowing how to counsel your your client. It's knowing how to negotiate with others. It's knowing how to play nice with the co-counsel that maybe isn't always nice, right? I yeah. mean, there are so many skills that just helping you develop your professional identities is crucial. And I think these initiatives have given us the opportunity to help you have those skills developed. I, I think it's another really important plug to tell the entire student body, don't shy away from a topic just because you don't feel like you'd fit into the to the science community or something. Yeah. I think that often I kind of struggle with this balance of, you know, am I taking enough courses that are preparing me for the bar? So how do you suggest for students to maintain a balance between these, you know, niche areas that are branching off and helping us develop other skills and the courses that we know we need to take? Right. Well, well. so I used to talk about it as, you know, making sure you have a balanced plate. You need some vegetables <laughs> along with your steak and maybe your creme brulee, that's right? A, that's a fun analogy. Yeah. For me, it'll be flung I'm Cuban, but, but creme brulee works too. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and Florida is interesting because the bar here in Florida tests 24 distinct subjects, which is actually 
were tied with Virginia as testing the most distinct subjects. And, and that's part of the reason why our um, bar exam is so hard, because even though they say we can test any of these 24 subjects, they're only going to test you know, somewhere between 8 and 12 on the actual exam. And so, so it's, it's hard to know which courses you should take during law school versus which subjects you should focus on in your commercial bar prep course. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sense is that there are some basics that any lawyer should take regardless of the bar exam. So first, every lawyer should take tax. Tax issues come up in every conceivable area of law, right? And, and you don't have to become a tax expert. You just need to take that basic tax class so you can spot the tax issue or ask the tax question and then refer it to a tax yeah. lawyer. And we're lucky. We have more full-time tax faculty than any other law school in the world. Mm. And so take a tax class. And some people are like, oh, I'm not good at math. I shouldn't take tax. Tax isn't about math. Yeah, tax it's is not about, about math. reading. Okay. The I didn't code. know that. I didn't yeah. know that. So you'll <laughs> so be taking tax next semester. <laughs> I hope. I think you should take it. I think a basic corporations or business entity class, you yep. know, business mm-hmm. association class, is also important. And for most people, taking the basic administrative law class is important. And and the, you'll get a little bit of that on the bar exam, but those are foundational for for future courses, and future legal work. So I would think less about specific bar topics because you can't take all of them, at least if you're going to take the Florida bar, and more about what are some of the foundational courses you need to take. And then, you know, Trust and Estates is a great class. I used to teach it. If, if you're interested in trusts and estates, take it. But if you're only taking it for the bar, that's one thing, that's one topic that you can learn during the, you know, Barbary or other commercial bar prep course. Same with family law. For me, all my writing is about family law. I'm passionate about family law. Are we aligned here or do you have a difference I of opinion? I completely <laughs> agree with the three courses she named that every law student, I think, should take. Um, do you have I, any to add? Sorry, do I have, do you have well, any to add? I was waiting to hear if Dean <laughs> Rosemary included administrative law because that's okay. usually the one that I'm pushing for because I spent so much of my practice in DC yeah. and any almost everybody's practice will involve some agency. Right. And it is just a useful course for you to understand the world. And that's kind of how I even put yeah. like I categorize Dean Rosenberry's three courses in just to make you a good all around lawyer and mm. human. You should kind of take <laughs> yeah. those three courses. Um, And I am one of those, I always tell my students, talk to a lot of different folks because Mm -hmm. I'm always one of the faculty who advises them to use law school to explore things you might never get a chance to do again. Yes. You know, this is, if you know you're not going to do something, I would be sad that you were taking a course and giving up that three credit spot where you could have been taking something that exposed you to a whole new world. Whereas you know you're going to have to cover those things in your commercial Barbary course or, you know, and so I take that approach. Law school, is it is short, right? You all know one L year is done. People complain it's too long, but you all know the truth that you're required to take your one L courses. You wake up and all of a sudden I only have four semesters by which to squeeze in all these amazing courses. Um, And so I think that that's um, the kind of 
the the position I come from in terms of your class selection. I don't I don't know about you, Janelle, but I it's challenging to be hosting a podcast while also taking mental note of because these are some amazing plugs, and I yeah. I feel I genuinely feel that way, and hope that our audience feels the same way as well. I, I think it's it's reassuring to hear these things. Yeah, we, we definitely should have put like a warning at the beginning of this to have a pen and paper <laughs> nearby um, because yeah. I'm here trying to keep track of everything that's being said because yeah. I definitely needed this um, probably more than anyone in the audience. <laughs> yeah. As educators and, and leaders, you've seen generations of law students walk through these halls and, and halls elsewhere and embark on incredible careers, both in the legal field and outside of the legal field. How would you encourage students like how, like we've been talking about to embrace the gray to embrace mm-hmm. that struggle that balance between pursuing certain interests or should they keep their their options open there may be something that they'd be really interested in and they just they don't know because they haven't even considered it or taken a course in it I'm curious to know what you guys think. Well, so it's both and, right? Yeah. Right. You yeah. Embrace the gray, as you said. Um, you know, for some students, you know, if, if it will be, it would have been interesting if Professor Stein went to another law school that had like eight environmental courses instead of just the one. Yeah. By course four, would you have become sick of environmental no law? No way. <laughs> But, but in some ways, aren't you glad you took all those other courses? That's the better question. Yes. If, if I had had a number of environmental law, law courses available, I for sure would not have taken courses that I found fascinating. Um, and so I think I tell my students, I generally don't encourage that you have to feel you need to graduate law school with some specialty and say, I have taken all the classes in this. Um, yeah. But I think it's better to say, I am well-rounded. Let me tell you about all these different things I've done. And I think it was attractive to the firms when I was interviewing that I would say, I'm so interested in this, but I got to say, I found this fascinating and this fascinating. I would be fine to work in those as well. Um, And so I think you'd be too narrow then you're not nimble for the firm, right? And it, they want that as well because there are sometimes the economy will laugh when you make plans. Yeah. And I had a number of <laughs> colleagues who wanted to do corporate and then we kind of hit a point where they all had to transition. Yeah. And so they want that as well. I, I remember my, my football coach in college had this cheesy quote where he would always say, the best ability is availability. <laughs> and I think that that's, that's, it's, it's true, it's right? True. I think it's, I think employers are gonna, they're gonna be like, oh, our, this associate is our, IP expert. No, he's not. He just graduated from he just graduated from law school. No, this associate is available. This yes. is holy, yeah. Yes. I think that's amazing advice. Well, and and I've talked to, you know, alums from UF Law, um, including a few who graduated in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And we had no IP classes then. Yeah. Um, but they went to firms or organizations that very soon needed to start thinking about IP, right? And all of a sudden, even though they had no training, they became IP lawyers, okay? Now, of course, you do a different path if you want to become an IP lawyer, but not when a field is emerging. Likewise, um, you know, one of our most popular compressed courses is marijuana law and policy taught by our alum, Tara Tedrow. When she graduated from law school, you know, marijuana only came up in criminal law, right? (laughs) There was no other way to think about the law of marijuana. And now she focuses her, almost her entire practice on supporting 
uh, marijuana um, distributors and growers and, and, and thinking about zoning as it relates to dispensaries. It's just a wonderful practice area that she could have never imagined when she was in law school. And adaptability is just so key. I mean, another example, environmental litigation, regulatory all the way. And then when my partner got this opportunity in California, guess what that office did? No environmental. Mm. They said, oh, you can choose. Do you want to do securities or IP? And I was like, mm, I could do either. Let me try them both. <laughs> <laughs> and then I chose securities. I like, became a securities litigator yeah. for two years. Yeah. yeah, but, the you know, I think that they firms value more that you are not Open. so stuck in a yeah. rut that then they think, wow, if something happens, that's all. I only have one use for you. Um, and so I think that's critical to be thinking that way. So we, we have a couple of questions that we want to close off with as, as, as we approach the end. One specifically for you, Dean Rosenberry, for why MMM, for your mentor, mm -hmm. Martha Minow. You mentioned in the EdUp Legal Education podcast with Dean Patty Roberts from St. Mary's University School of Law, that you had a specific conversation with her where she said, make law school your own, right? Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what it is that you did after that yeah. conversation? Well, that's part of the conversation yeah. I had with her at the end of my 1L year when I was thinking of dropping out. And, you know, with 1L year, you're, you, you don't have any choice in the courses you take. And, it, and it's really removed from practice, at least at most schools. And so that's what she was trying to get at when she said, make law school your own. Choose, you can get to choose your courses. She too was very focused on experimenting, trying things outside of my comfort zone. She said, you also get to, you know, have experiential opportunities either in the summer or taking clinics. That's when she pushed me to do the law review, which I thought I would hate and I ended up loving. But, you know, it was an ongoing process. It's not like, you know, by the time I graduated, I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. Right. It, 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 you know, and I would have never imagined becoming a professor at that stage. Um, it was only about when I was four or five years out that I started thinking about becoming a professor. And certainly I would have never imagined being a dean. So, so, yeah. so keeping your mind open to new possibilities is key, not just in law school, but throughout practice. Yeah, well, here at the Gator Brief, our primary audience is 1Ls, right? So the reason why I ask that question is because I want to give them very clear instructions how to make law school your own from right. from Dean Rosenberry and from Dean Stein. Right. Um, and I think during 1L year, you know, one thing I did and but I could have done even more is that I got involved with a student organization and that helped me during 1L year, but I think you know, we we have even more student organizations here at UF Law and I think finding your people and not getting freaked out by, you know, you always have a few classmates who at least say they're studying all the time and they never yeah. take a break and, and <laughs> live in the library right yeah. and 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 I don't know if that's true but but I think it's important to to find some people who who are having a little bit more of a holistic approach yeah. to law school it's not just the classes but wanting to explore other interest and or who just like want to take a walk down to Lake Alice <laughs> and yeah. and and talk about something other than the reading for the day yeah 
I always assign my students some life balance, right? You must, <laughs> in addition to preparing your first practice assignment, you must go outside and take a picture of yourself with an animal, right? <laughs> I mean, all kinds or, of or things. Or wake up and do the New York Times crossword puzzle. That's there right. You go. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. right? Um, no, I think that that's true. I would just say maybe in closing that we are approaching the one else first registration process. So I would encourage them to look at the schedule and think what courses jump out at them as being really interesting to them and to not shy away from them if they don't see a purpose in them yeah. immediately yes. yeah. because I can guarantee all of our courses serve some purpose. I, I know that Janelle's winding up another question but I wanted to really quickly plug something that the SBA is doing that I didn't have my first year but we're planning a panel for 1Ls this fall before the spring registration begins where they can speak with 2Ls and 3Ls and ask questions about you know why did you pick the classes that you picked so we're doing our best to to give them more resources to help them make decisions. Yeah, exactly. That's a great thing to have and encourage them. They can always come talk to faculty and ask, you know, come by my office and ask me, what do you think? I have students who are always yeah. like, I'm debating between these two. They're both in conflict. And yeah. I think that that's well, those this are is, this good is discussions. A, yeah, this have. is a big part of the show. We're trying to encourage that. We're trying to yeah. provide content that that is encouraging. Stop by, speak with professors, ask about mm -hmm. courses. Sorry, Janelle. Yeah. No, no, you're <laughs> yeah. okay. Um, so in your time at ULF, what are some experiences that have been the most rewarding or some of your most proudest moments? Do with, do with that question what you will. Um, I just want to hear from you about that. I have so many, I don't know where to start, but maybe I'll give you one of my personal proudest moments was when at the professor's auction, we auctioned off a laser tag game of my torch section against <laughs> Professor Endo's Civ Pro section. Oh, I heard about this. And I heard perhaps, about this. sorry, Professor Endo, but yeah, we destroyed them. And that was a moment <laughs> of personal pride yeah. for my torch <laughs> section, um, which I enjoyed. But, you know, a lot of um, those experiences are so rewarding. It's even today, one of my former students emailing me about passing the bar. And I said, I'm doing a happy dance in my office if you could see, right? Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah. those are some of the best experiences for me. We'll make sure Professor Endo gets a snippet of this so that he, <laughs> does, he does not forget. Yes. He does not forget. Thank you. <laughs> but similarly, you know, recruiting great students. And mm -hmm. I know I talked with you, Andy, during the recruitment process and then seeing what they do. Once they come here, once they graduate, it's wonderful seeing some of the students from my early years here. Now at alumni events, I recently met um, Faith Proper, who was one of the first students I recruited in, in 20. 1516, yeah. and she's now at Alston Bird in mm -hmm. Atlanta, and it was just great to see her as a lawyer. <laughs> that must have been so, such a rewarding experience. Yeah, yeah. So, and and of course, we had a small swearing-in ceremony today for for the students who found out yesterday they passed the bar, and that was just so moving. Aww. That's what it's all about. That's, That's right. Amazing. It's about yeah. the students. We would yeah. not be here but for the students. Yeah. Yes. Last question. We have one more. We will show you some footage that we collected at the Fall 2022 SBA Student Org Fair. It's a one-minute clip. Let's go talk to some people. we got so many orgs here. SBA, Gator Brief, Jumba, Business, Easels, Environmental Law Society, UF Law, First Generation Society. Let's go talk to them. What's your favorite thing about UF Law? I really love the students. I thought law school was going to be very competitive, but it turns out it was really nice. 
What's your favorite thing about law school? I would say the people, the okay. professors. I think all the people I've met. My favorite thing about UF Law is there's so many bright and enthusiastic people. I guess I gotta say it's the, the people, you know. It's, uh... First things first, what do you think about this microphone? It's really small, but I think it's cute. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about UF Law? Ooh, the people. <laughs> I'm going to say what Elliot said, the people. I've met some awesome people here. Well, I think the most important thing... Do you want me to hold this? <laughs> There's so many. I'm a triple theater, so I love UF. But um, I think the community and the friends I've made here have been the best part. You can blame it all on me. Uh, I love the people. I was when I just came. What is your favorite thing about UF Law? <laughs> <laughs> the energy and spirit of our entire community. It's, it is about the people. We are so much more than a number or a set of buildings, but we're a community that supports one another and cares deeply about the future of the legal profession, but also the world. Well, I feel I have to say the people, Andy, but... <laughs> you don't, you don't. Um, I would have said the students the because students. I only keep coming back every day because of you. Um, I've told Dean Rosemary so many times, even when this administrative position came up, but will that mean I won't be in the classroom <laughs> as much? I love my students. And you all, every day when I am in there, I, no matter what kind of day I've had, you are like the perfect panacea for like everything goes away. And for those hour or two, we just get to be together. And I, you're often teaching me things. I'm teaching you things. It's like the ideal situation, I think. And so just the respect and excitement. And we know you are dealing with so much right now as well. And so just know we appreciate all the work you you put into coming to class prepared and being engaged, and I think that's just great. And we won't back down. <laughs> we, will, we, will back down. we will not back down. I want to hear you say it. <laughs> Thank you both so much for taking time out of your schedule to be part of this inaugural episode of the Student Life Podcast. We are so excited to share this conversation with our audience and we're so happy that you guys were on the first episode because it, it was amazing thank you so much yes thank y'all thank you thank both you. have a great night thank, thank you you, you too thanks <laughs> well thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the gator brief my name is ji sung moon and i'm the chief editor of the gator brief we hope you enjoyed it found it to be informational and perhaps even inspirational i want to thank my co-founders and executive team who helped put this podcast together thank you to our creative director gus Fermato. To our technical director, Jake Etling, to our chief correspondent, Josh Jacobs, and of course, our hosts, Andy Garcia and Janelle Roll. Special thanks to Dylan Brown and Zach Torres, along with everyone else who's contributed to the Gator Brief. Thank you to the UF Levin College of Law Administration for giving us the support to get this podcast underway. Before we close off, I just want to thank our guests one more time. Thank you, Dean Rosenberry and Dean Stein, for taking the time to be here with us. The Gator Brief is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Follow us at The Gator Brief on Instagram and LinkedIn for frequent updates and other content. Tune in next month for episode two of The Gator Brief.